Hey, what's up? Episode one, let's do this. Got a fun show today. A little bit later, I'm going to be joined by Tom Z of Lakers Exceptionalism to discuss uniform leaks, front office moves, and the state of the big man in the NBA today. At the end of the episode, I'll do Knicks picks for a few of next Sunday's games. But first, because I haven't had a chance to, I want to talk about the bubble and the completion of the 2019-2020 season. First, I want to commend Adam Silver, the players, the owners, the team staffs, the media personnel, as well as all the friends and family members of those involved. Over 6,000 people were in this bubble and they had zero cases of the coronavirus. So my hat's off to the NBA and the way they put this all together. Uh, Also, the social justice messaging and the messaging with voting was incredible. I hope that it's something that they do from here on out. I'm going to touch on it a little bit later on here, but it was awesome to see, especially all the all the videos that they put together with different people singing the national anthem and seeing what each team did to protest peacefully and bring light to the injustices that we're having here in the States. Second thing I want to say is congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers on winning their 17th championship. Uh, Jeannie Buss is the first female owner to win a championship in the NBA. LeBron got his fourth ring. I would argue that his defense in this playoff run specifically was as close to the 2012-2013 LeBron we've seen since that time. He was locked in and clearly on a mission here in the bubble. Uh, Davis Ex Machina got his first ring along with Dwight and Vogel got a ring. I cannot believe it, but I'm so happy for him. I really liked those Indiana teams of the early 2010s there, and I'm happy to see that he finally got a ring and got to coach a really talented team, and we got to see what he could do with it. The last thing I want to say here is this is probably the most likable LeBron team of all time. Maybe the 17 Cavs, you could argue, were more likable, but in my opinion, this cast of characters and the way that they won, it was just so enjoyable to watch. And it was, you know, watching somebody at the peak of their powers. LeBron's mental game is at an all-time high, and his body still hasn't broken down. And so we're really seeing something special, something that you probably won't see again in this capacity somebody in their 17th year playing the minutes and having the influence on the game that he does is really uncomparable and i think that's where a lot of the lebron versus jordan argument starts from the lebron side is that lebron's accomplishments are really starting to eclipse what jordan did and it's really impressive and i'm just grateful that i get to watch it some other players in the bubble i really had some dramatic opinion changes on so I wanted to talk about them here I wrote down a few of them Kawhi Leonard I had a really high opinion of him going into the season off of the Raptors championship and from his Spurs days and I made the mistake of not considering the locker room and the leadership aspect of being the best player on a championship team 
And Kawhi Leonard clearly wasn't able to lead this team to a championship. And I think he was missing somebody like a Kyle Lowry who could really hold everybody accountable and be the leader of the team, at least emotionally, to spark runs or to call out different defensive sets. Whatever needed to be done, Kyle Lowry was willing to do it. And Kawhi was clearly lacking that this year. So... I assume that Kawhi is going to put in some work on that in the offseason and really look over what happened, but it's tough to say because it looks like the Clippers are making a bunch of moves which look like, you know, in a way, excuses for why they didn't win when really they had a talented team with a good coach and they really should have performed better in the playoffs. Before those playoffs started, though, we had Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns going 8-0, and and I was loving it. One of my really good friends is a Phoenix fan, and so I follow them a little bit closer than some other teams, especially also regionally here in Southern California. But, man, it was, it was fun to watch his coming out party. I am excited to see what he's going to do next year. I think that he's going to be an early MVP candidate. He'll be one of those popular off-the-radar picks that people will start throwing out there, especially if he starts averaging upwards of 26, 27 points in their winning games. I think that he'll have a really strong argument at the narrative and just kind of the way that MVP's gone. It's almost like the newcomer who fully blossoms into a true all-star. Seems to be the MVP pick more than who is the best player in the league. Also, he's running with DeAndre Ayton, who can hopefully get a full season in next year. He was suspended last year, 25 games, for taking some sort of substance. But I think in this 2020 NBA where you're going to need a big man who can be a presence offensively and defensively, not only as a rim runner, but as a pick setter and as somebody who can create shots for others, And I'm really interested to see where DeAndre Ayton's game is coming into next year because he really does have the potential to be a nuisance for people like Joker and AD and Rudy Gobert. I think he could be right in that mix with all of them. He just needs to keep putting in the work. Uh, Jamal Murray, we all watched it. There's not a lot more to say about, as J.E. Skeets would say, Kitchener's finest. I'd say he has the highest ceiling and floor of anybody coming out of the bubble, you could tell me that he never makes another, uh, he never makes an all-star game from here on out, and I would believe you. But also, if he makes the next ten, I wouldn't be shocked either. I think that playing on the same court and that consistency seemed to benefit him a lot, and also having that space on the baseline to land also allowed him to really streak at the basket quickly. And maybe that helped his game, but it's really exciting to see a team like Denver with a couple young stars putting stuff together and making playoff runs and getting experience because, you know, this is like where the Warriors were before they were the Warriors. They had to lose some playoff series and take their licks and come back stronger for it. And I think that Denver's clearly a title, not a title favorite, but a title contender next year as long as they can stay healthy. In the other conference, Jason Tatum. 12-time Tatum, he disappointed me, and I think he can play better. It just seems 
like sometimes he's trying to decide what he wants to do instead of just reacting to what the defense is doing or dictating specifically to the defense to create a disadvantage for them. He just seems hesitant sometimes or or his shot selection just seems off. And he clearly has the skills. That's what people see when they call him 12-time Tatum. I think that he needs to sit down in the film room and make his decision-making quicker when he's on the court. So it's more of a reaction as opposed to a fully thought-through decision. But the Celtics are going to be there. They're going to be one of the teams at the end of the season that's a true contender. So he'll have another opportunity at it. And a team that almost put it all together, uh, they got a player, Duncan Robinson. He's the last player I want to touch on here. This might be a hot take, uh, but I think that Duncan Robinson can be everything that Clay is for the Warriors for the Heat. I think his defense is really underrated, and so is his size and strength. I think that positionally he plays really good, smart defense, and obviously offensively he's lethal, and that's not going to diminish as he gains more experience in playing in more high-level games more consistently. He's only going to become a better shooter. And I think that that's going to be a big piece for the Heat for the next couple of years if they really want to make a run at the title here. Because he showed he's not going to back down from anybody and he has all the skills that you would want in a small forward in the game today. The level of play in the bubble was exceptional. It exceeded my expectations personally. But the, the no travel, the consistent rest, playing on the same court, maybe not having the distraction of fans there you know contributed to this higher level of play i think most importantly and i talked about it a little bit earlier is the space around the court i think that these athletes are so fast strong and they're making these split second decisions that in this environment with the way that the court was set up at the bubble it allowed the players to drive at the basket harder, dive out of bounds with less fear, and it ultimately created a faster, more physical, but better overall game. And it was so much fun to watch. And I know those seats are money makers for these teams, but if they could find a way to just give the players a little bit more room in a real arena, I think that that would greatly increase the level of play and also keep the players healthy, which is most important you know you want these players on the court there are other unique quirks that i really enjoyed with the bubble a weekend i was totally in on the fake crowd the rail cam was incredible the virtual fans were fun because you could get anybody anywhere into the arena theoretically we you know had appearances from celebrities all the way to former president barack obama it was so much fun during stops and play to search the crowd and to look and see who they're hiding in there this you know during that particular game i really enjoyed the four games a day very reminiscent of college basketball's march madness where you wake up and go to sleep and you've all you've done all day is watch basketball the play in and the race for those spots clearly worked And the other weird quirk that I wanted to touch on that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is that it was the majority of all the teams, players, coaches, all in the same place. And I think in the future with a mid-season tournament, it could create the same experience where at least once a season, all the players, coaches, 
owners, everybody is in the same place for a certain period of time, and they can get a lot done with social justice, voting, future collective bargaining agreements. It would just be a good space for conversations to happen. There would probably be some level of tampering happening, but overall, I think it would help bring everybody in the NBA world on the same page consistently year after year. And then we could also have this exciting midseason tournament where there's another trophy to win in a season other than the LOB which is something that I think Adam Silver has been pushing for the past couple of years, and I'm all for. Uh, all in all, I loved the bubble ball experience. Like I said earlier, it exceeded all of my expectations. Uh, one other thing here, uh, free agency is probably going to start about the same time this episode goes up, and the draft is in a couple of days. So over the next couple of weeks, as players begin to sign and trades start to happen, I'll talk more in depth about that and what I think teams need to do for the upcoming season. But for today, no free agency speculation. Just want to talk about the bubble and my thoughts on that. Okay, up next, I have Tom Z joining me. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by CBD Brands Direct. CBD Brands Direct is an online retailer for a wide variety of CBD brands and products. They are your one-stop shop for everything CBD. From topicals to edibles to ingestibles, they've got you covered. Caliper CBD makes a dissolvable powder that provides a precise 20 milligram dose of CBD in each packet. Powder is flavorless, sugar-free, THC-free, and it dissolves into any food or beverage. Caliper CBD has a 450% higher bioavailability than standard CBD oils. That means you absorb 4.5 times more CBD into your body and get the full power results you deserve. It contains no calories and is made with non-GMO ingredients. It is vegan and gluten-free. All products from CBD Brands Direct ship to the continental United States. You must be 18 or older to order. Be sure to check your specific state's CBD regulations. Visit cbdbrandsdirect.com. That's c-b-d-b-r-a-n-d-s-d-i-r-e-c-t.com to order. And use the offer code BEGONIAFM. All one word at checkout to get 20% off your order. Make sure to use that code, Begonia FM, to let them know you came from us. Thanks to CBD Brands Direct for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, joining me now on the line, he's a director, writer, producer, one half of the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, and a triple threat on the basketball court. Tom Z, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well after that amazing intro. I forget it's been so long since we've actually hooped together that uh, I've hooped with other humans before and they know what my game is like. I feel seen. You are dangerous behind the three-point line and in the lane. With the basketball in your hand, you're always a threat. I appreciate that. It's, uh, I love it. I love playing basketball. You're good. You got some good hands for yourself too, man. You're a good roll man. You know when to roll, when to pop. You got some skills of your own. Yeah, you know, I'm really I'm here to set screens, get guys open, finish plays, just, you know, whatever the team needs, I'm here for. Classic team uh, player. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, today we're going to talk about non-player moves that we think will have a big impact over the next year or the next five years. We're going to talk about AD, Joker, and Embiid's impact on player personnel over the next few years. We're going to save all of our free agency talk for when Tom comes on next time. But to begin here, we're going to we're going to talk uniform leaks. We've had a lot of leaks and confirmations over the past few weeks, and it's something that Tom and I are pretty passionate about, so we thought we'd go through them here and share our thoughts. Tom, you kind of made a fun little collection of lists here, so I'm going to let you go through your lists, and then I'll give my top three, bottom three, and then we'll try to predict what teams are going to do that we haven't seen, but... Give us your lists here. All right, man. So I try to be positive these days in this uh, these days of growing uh, uncertainty. So I'm going to start with the top three grew on me jerseys, ones that I maybe saw the first time, wasn't so in on, and then you know the more I see them, the more I like them. And my number mm-hmm. one is the Jean Michel Basquiat Brooklyn Nets jersey. The great pronunciation. I try. I look. He's. He's a really cool artist. I do actually really like his work. He did a collaboration with the Lakers recently that was pretty fun. Um, but so the, I'm going to point out a little detail that I just noticed maybe a couple days ago that really changed how I saw this jersey. So you're looking at the jersey, right? The Nets part. There's like a bracket mm-hmm. on one end and a, a curved line on the left end. So, but what I realized, and, and considering this is from an artist who was born in Brooklyn, the right bracket is the backboard, the left curve is the rim, and the word nets is the net. Brain exploding. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were going to talk about the yellow name popping on the back that, that changed your mind. That looks good as well, but kind of everything coming together, and then, yeah, we only saw the front part of the jersey at first. It looked kind of busy. It kind of looked like someone's, like, you know, like, eighth grade like notebook in in science class like yeah the primary the primary colors being splashed on top of the brooklyn black and white yeah definitely gave it that elementary type of look plus the hand-drawn aesthetic of it yes i did not put those put two and two together there that that is the net i'm with you that's growing on me as well i you know there's still some kind of funky i don't love the like zigzaggy kind of underlay pattern Beneath it, there's kind of this wavy texture on the jersey mm-hmm. that I could live without. It makes it a little too busy to me. But overall, the Nets the last few years with their, you know, their biggie jerseys, their, yes. their black and white, plus the like multicolorful kind of format is just really clean. Totally agree. And this is way better than the other jersey that they leaked this yes. offseason, in my opinion. That yes. 90s throwback, this one is far superior. Yes, so that was my number one kind of like grew on me with time. And I could totally be off the mark with that Nets uh, like kind of artistic uh, reading there. But I think it's I think that's what he was going for. And to me, that's really cool. You know, art is really just up to interpretation. So so, so I'm right then because I decide I'm right. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. We're going to go with that. Following up on that, you would put some information about the Trailblazers Oregon jerseys in our doc that I wasn't aware of. Firstly, that the Oregon border is the zigzag along the, the the side of the jerseys. I wasn't aware of that specific detail. 
Um, the Oregon font is the same as the famous Oregon sign. I'm taking mm-hmm. all your credit for this research, Nick. I just want the <laughs> listeners to know I'm riding your wave here. But all those kind of put together, and I looked at it again. It's clean. It's elegant. I It grew on me more than the brownish like turd of a jersey I thought it was at first. I'm in the same boat. My initial reaction was, oh, what? The Blazers are usually so good. They yeah. rarely miss on a uniform. But this one, it grew on me as well. And yeah, I like those little details of the border. And I like that they're shouting out Oregon because they really don't have a lot of professional sports teams in general, the whole state. And so for the state getting a little bit of a shout out on the uniforms, I'm for it. 100%. Um, Yeah, to your point, all of Portland's jerseys are so classic. They keep to their historical themes while kind of changing a little bit enough to make it fresh and clean. Um, and this is a, a severe departure from all of that, which gave us a little culture shock, I think. But once you kind of, so I think also <laughs> once you saw the rest of the jerseys come out, you're like, okay, that one's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it put it in perspective. For real though. Um, so that's a cool jersey. The other one, Nick, that I was lukewarm on was the Lakers actually you know that's my team I love my Lakers Mm -hmm. I think maybe I saw like those knockoff jerseys that are like the numbers are too small proportionally to what they actually are because when I saw the full release of this it wasn't quite as proportional as you'd expect and then you saw the legit release and it's got kind of like a silver kind of you know number uh shade behind it like the the number's kind of silver and there's like a blue kind of like shadow to it that i like um so yeah the three-dimensionality of the number and i know 100 percent that you know last year when nipsey hustle passed there was a big push on twitter from lakers fans to get his crenshaw jersey to become a lakers alt um Mm -hmm. and if you're not familiar it's it's more or less the blue on blue MPLS throwbacks that you'd see Jerry West or Elgin Baylor in. But right. instead of Lakers, it says Crenshaw in cursive. And to me, this is them kind of trying to get back to that that feeling that so many of us on Twitter wanted, but you know, avoiding the rights of not being able to get the actual Crenshaw jersey. Oh. Well that makes sense to me. And I, I like that story behind it. That's yeah. I mean we both live here in Los Angeles, so we're both well aware, but LA loves LA. Yes. You know, and this city is very loyal to the people, and I like that aesthetic that they're trying to go back to that. I didn't know that Nipsey Hustle portion of the story, but both mm-hmm. of those, the, both the white and the blue, are, they're clean, and the Lakers have a nice general aesthetic that they can build off of, kind of similar to the Portland Trail Blazers in a way, and... I mean, Lakers whites always look good. We've sure. talked about it. Those those Sunday whites are beautiful. So if I'm getting a second Lakers white uniform, I'm all in. I do feel like although the Lakers have great base jerseys, that their city jerseys have been pretty bad lately outside of the Mamba jerseys from a few years ago. Like the Shaq jerseys this year, I'm not. it. Like those god-awful purple pajama pinstripe BS from last year. Like just like those on... The hottest of garbage fires. But I I also want to point out that they only really... This is my conspiracy theory, okay? They only put out blue jerseys so that the 
all the media will stop talking about how the Minneapolis titles don't count. This is mm. them embracing the Minnesota in their roots. Clever move. Now they just need to retire Mikan's number, right? I guess. maybe Somebody I, I does. Mean, them or the Timberwolves. That man's have... number should be in a rafter. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know if he cares. He's, he's dead, but, you know, respect. George Mikan was the first NBA superstar. When I say the Mike and drill, you know what I'm talking about. If you're that influential on the game, you got to be in the rafters. He's a champion, Hall of Famer. An argument for another day. The jersey I had for your grew-on-me category was the Chicago theater aesthetic uniforms. It was kind of one of those shocks as well that we talked about like with Portland, but it grew on me and I've been to that Chicago theater there. I saw Hamilton there in 16. So sure, let's do it. Gold and black always looks clean too. So, well, I say that, but Toronto found a way to jack that up this year. But That's we'll... true. I agree with you on the Chicago note though. I think the gold is very clean and it's like the, the font works really well, not just on the Chicago, but on the names as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that one grew on me as well, even though it's kind of a weird cultural connection to the city of Chicago. That'd be like, you know, Philadelphia coming out with Rocky jerseys, which I don't think anyone would be mad at. But it's like cultural connection to a city versus, you know, actual city like Liberty Bell or, you know what I mean? Well, the Chicago theater does use that font downtown and you know, theater and performance is very big in Chicago, like with Second City and comedy performances. It's definitely one of the, you know, capitals of live performance in the United States. So I think they are leaning a little bit into that as well. No, you're right. I'm just impressed at how well, like, zooming in so much to a cultural niche of a particular city works because Mm -hmm. that font is iconic and you can't just do that with Rocky or something like that. You know what I mean? Like... It works even though it's very culturally niche. It it still is a part of their identity, um, unlike the god-awful boathouses on Philly's New Jersey. But speaking of Rocky and the Sixers, didn't they do those gray uniforms as a Rocky thing, like to match his gray sweatsuit? Oh, well, see, that's a level of connection I hadn't considered before. Are you talking about the ones with the stars? Going around the number, yeah, right. in a circle. I guess that makes sense. There's more of like a Rocky like nod than an overt Rocky, mm-hmm. you know, which is what the Chicago kind of font is doing. Totally. And I think a little bit of where I was coming from as well as I loved their Chicago flag aesthetic that they'd have built over the past couple of years. That's such a cool flag mm-hmm. specifically that with those iconic stars that why wouldn't you continue to use that design as your city edition? That's your city flag and it looks really good, but I digress. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your next list? So next we got to get to, you know, I mentioned Philly, the top three, like what are you doing? <laughs> jerseys? And this was hard for me to, to put it at just three. So I have a tie at two, but Going back to Philly, man, you know, I heard I did a little digging and I, I heard that Ben Simmons actually had a big part in designing this jersey. Um, it it he missed shoots, the shot. He misses. Yeah. He missed the shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, low hanging fruit is too easy. But it's like 
So Ben Simmons has got his hands on this, and apparently their starting point was, we want a black jersey. Okay, Mm -hmm. you want a black jersey. Some people love black jerseys. I'm fine with them. Sometimes they're necessary. Sometimes they're not, right? Every team loves black uniforms. I've pointed this out in the playoffs. I pointed out in like the middle of the playoffs, I was like, every team is wearing a black uniform. And I think we found one game. Right. It was like with Denver and the Lakers, who like traditionally don't wear black at all, yeah. where there wasn't a black uniform involved. Every team wants a black uniform. I remember texting you about this in the playoffs. You're like, there's been nine straight games with a black uniform. <laughs> yeah, and it's always the team that's like down 0-2. They're like, oh, we're wearing black because we're right. taking this serious. I think it all started with LeBron. LeBron's wearing, calves, yeah. Yeah, with those t-shirt uniforms. but For sure. But, I mean, furthermore, like this jersey is just... All over the place. I don't know what's going on with the font. The boathouses look like those old, like crappy Etch-a-Sketches. <laughs> you know, you get when you're little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like those Night Brights, I guess is what they are, not Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> the Night Bright. It's the Night Bright jersey. Perfect. I think that they should <laughs> rebrand it. It might sell better. Like, put some Christmas lights on that. That would actually be cool, like, aesthetically. Ooh, Christmas Day uniforms? Yeah, put some Christmas lights on it. Perfect. And the, and they made this big deal that they were going to announce it with AI wearing the uniform too. And I hear that it's a black uniform. I'm like so excited that those black cutoffs are going to yes. come back. We've had the t-shirt jersey recently. Let's bring back the 2000s cutoff jersey. It's time. And then they came out with this boathouse. Oh, super disappointing. And they've been pretty good on their uniforms recently. Yeah, they have. No, and that's what's so disappointing to me, and this is why it's the what-are-you-doing category. Because mm-hmm. jerseys, if you do them well, they're like like uh, Portland. They're clean, they're familiar, but new, and, and thematically connected to the city you're in. Um, Absolutely. And, and there's something here. Philly, of all towns, you know, really can pull off the red, white, and blue. And always has pulled it off very well, in my opinion. And a mm-hmm. lot of teams have that color scheme and don't use it very well. But there with the fila, I love those fila jerseys and the cursive. Um, and it's and, that parchment, almost egg white colored uniform. Right, right. So to those see them nice. just depart from all of that entirely to, you know, maybe give your star a chance to, you know, grow his brand and this or that. It, it's... It's like, I understand it, and they just missed the mark here. Although I think Philly's had, for the most part, so far, a pretty damn good offseason. I cannot argue that. Yeah, I'm a big Maury fan, so they brought him in. I think that's going to change their franchise for sure. We're actually going to you know, talk about some front office moves later on, but what else do you got here on your what are you doing? What's what's your tie? So my tie, I couldn't, I couldn't pick one because these four teams have to be here, and I had to keep it to like top three for thematic. <laughs> so New York and Detroit, man, and these fall into the same, like just lack of, at like turning your homework in, like the minute it's due, doing it on the way to class, scribbling down notes. So first of all, let's go to New York, okay? Another team was like, please give us black jerseys, okay. You want a black jersey. Whatever. They've got the orange to blue gradient on stripe on the sides, which, okay, that's not the most important thing. Gradient is never good. Like those it's, new Atlanta Falcons uniforms oh, are God. awful. It looks like a college program. Yeah. 
yeah, it's like clip art, word pop art, you know, style. And the thing that really bothers me, Nick, this is, I don't know if you feel the same, but, you know, we, we, we're, we're no ducks fans. We listen, they, they talk about what city, the city that never sleeps. They're, they're missing a few words there. City never sleeps. That's kind of weird. Other than that, the New York Knicks and the city never sleeps slogan are, are like tilted wrong. Like they're not, right. e- they're not top bottom, which fine. You don't want to be cool, symmetrical, top bottom, New York Knicks, city never sleeps. Fine. But it's like the New York Knicks is like almost upside down. You know, it's like a never ending circle, like time. Look, like they're, like they're, uh, they're treadmill to nowhere. Precisely. Yeah, no, these look like Boise State got to get an extra uniform. <laughs> the Yeah, the slogan is bad. And it's, you know, such a fall from grace because the Knicks uniforms are iconic. Yes. And they have some pretty good throwbacks to dig into as well. But yeah, they also just have an incredibly cool city. Like we've talked about some of these other cities just grab little pieces of their mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. You're New York City. Yes. Figure it out. Like, even the firefighter ones are cool because the New York Fire Department, you know. Sure. <sighs> it's going to be a no for me, dog. Um, it's bad. What about the Detroit uniforms? The Detroit one is also just like, do we need... Okay, so in case you weren't aware, Motor City is Detroit, Michigan because we put Detroit, Michigan underneath it. It's like explaining the joke on your jersey. I just... Why? Why? What are we... Motor City. Yeah, we know. That's your slogan. Motor City. Buzz City. You know, Rip City. We get it. We know you're Motor City. You don't have to like Detroit, Michigan. Like, we know where you are. I know that you're back in Detroit now, not in Auburn Hills or whatever. But Yeah, they're so happy to be in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get it, Nick. And then, like, the proportions are too small. Like, the jerseys or the numbers kind of a weird... I don't know. What, is there anything good about that jersey? Not that I can tell. It it's like a discount version of the mile high uniforms from last year, or they just took like the Indiana Pacers template and just color changed a couple things. I mean, Detroit's uniforms have been some of the worst though yeah. over the last five years, so I don't expect anything out of them. Yeah, you're like right. They had those treadmark ones where there was just those two vertical oh, right. stripes going up the front with that hideous gray. They've been off the mark for years. I think they should bring back those teal Grant Hill uniforms and lean into that like ugly 90s aesthetic that the Raptors and Grizzlies did last year. Because that was cool seeing those ugly, I, I, don't, I don't mean to call them ugly Raptors uniforms, but at the time they were ugly. They're cool right. now because right. of their gaudiness. But yes. Pistons should lean hard into that or go back to just the very simple 80s Isaiah Thomas, just Pistons, red and blue clean aesthetic but what they're doing now is not working another team trying to use the red white and blue aesthetic and it it just kind of blends together after a while you know uh and i really think that colorway is is pretty limiting you can do clean stuff with it and i think the white jerseys with like a blue trim and the red number like all that is very easy to make look good but as far as looking creative and being creative and coming out with something like they this is just not it (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this, this literally looks like somebody threw it together in the last day yeah no it's bad and it's a v-neck too so it's like well come oh, on yeah. at least give them a different neck or something right. give me some 
Give me something to differ. What is different about this than their normal blue Pistons uniform? Right. Exactly. There's nothing. It's it's literally their home jersey with like explaining what their city does and where it is. They should have just put the latitude and longitude. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, that might actually be cooler. <laughs> like on like the bottom <laughs> corner of a jersey, you know, just like I don't know. That they're hey, they're bad. I... The other red, white, and gray team is the Wizards to me. And this jersey, first of all, one thousand percent violates U.S. flag code. Second, I was say it's pretty tone deaf. Yeah. Second, I want to point out, and this is I've had this issue for a long time, Nick. Their DC logo has a hand at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, to celebrate all those jump balls that they're winning. Right, it's like an homage to the bullets, the two L's, were two hands jumping for a ball. But, like, why is jump balls, like, I get that, you know, you're the heat, let's put a ball going through the rim and the net goes on fire. Cool, okay, awesome. What, what? About the, <laughs> the your name is still the Wizards, and after Jordan, they, you know, pivoted away from, like, the wizardry kind of themes that they had. Um, yeah, they went. They leaned much more into the DC aspect, throwing yes. the Washington Monument yes. into the logo and embracing the red, white, and blue. But your team name's the Wizards. Like at some point, you got to do something there, right? Like, and this is just so to explain the jersey. It's this giant, like you know, like gross puke gray. That's just like I, I don't. Even, it's just the worst gray ever. It's it's. It looks terrible, and then the sides have these, you know, foisted-on American flag segments. So it's gray with red, white, and blue. I don't understand the thought process. And blue lettering on the gray uniform with no trim to pop. Yeah, you're just shaking your head right now. I'm sorry, it's abominable. I have no other That's the same thing that I'm feeling. (laughs) So, I mean... The gray is maybe like a Georgetown Hoyas gray in Georgetown, D.C., something there. But, I mean, I'm really scraping for pennies at this point. It's awful. And this is Nike. Like, they employ a lot of people. A lot of people have to be like, this is okay. And it's not okay. You think they were like, how do we get John Wall out of Washington? (laughs) (laughs) We know John Wall likes fashion. You're going to make him play 41 games in these and he'll promptly leave. Anyway, that's that's my three like like bottom bottom tier of jerseys that I feel like came out. Um, but were there mm-hmm. any other ones that you want to throw into like the bottom tier of just like what are you doing? Well, I had the Wizards in my what are you doing as well. Uh, this is actually probably a good chance. I'll just give my bottom three right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first of the bottom three is the Sacktown uniforms. <laughs> these are my kings, and these are atrocious. It's a weird color scheme. It kind of looks like a thunder alternate. The only redeeming thing that could happen from this uniform would be is if Milwaukee keeps their Cream City uniforms and we get a Sacktown versus Cream City matchup. But other than that, these are hot garbage. My second on the bottom three is the Raps black and gold. They found a way to make black and gold and the Raptors 90 aesthetic look bad. It's yeah. like 
you're talking about magic and wizards. That's a magic trick right there. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they're bad. And they had such a cool aesthetic going, and they just won the championship. We're going to talk about that in the in the new themes, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raptors, poor choices are being made. And then my other on the bottom three is the boathouse uniforms. The boathouse. Those are bad. But what's your uh, other list that you put together here? So the other one that is kind of like made the list made itself really because <laughs> we've we've seen a couple times over the last few years these jerseys that come out that just look like the generic stuff you buy at a gas station you know the la that's purple and gold but not officially licensed you know the they just look like something that like you forgot to buy your kid a gift for his birthday and you're getting gas and you know here's a los angeles fake lakers jersey and it's like a steinmart or tj maxx yes right that's a good one too right right and and number one in this category to me is the the god-awful is this dress gold or blue dallas mavericks jersey um because it has that gold feel if you remember that that dress meme that was going around or is this dress white and gold or is this dress yeah, blue, the blue. <laughs> yeah. it it has that kind of tint to it and I don't know if like do these like do these jerseys change under lights like that would be cool first of all wow yeah are they white and gold or are they blue and black it's for you to decide and listen both are well no I don't know that's another thing what why the gold where does the gold come from As- yeah you definitely did not just win the championship the Lakers if they came out with a gold aesthetic one. Fair. That's, that's Y'all also, just got the LOB. That's also part of their jersey. They're, go- they're purple and gold. That's their that's color. <laughs> but I'm just like, gold, Mavericks are that. They, they introduced that kind of neon green, right? A couple years mm-hmm. ago. They've been using that for trim and gradients. And those last year's jerseys we're talking, like, weren't as awful as we thought. But Yeah, these, they looked nice on the court. Yeah. This, the gold, it's, it's also part of what are you doing here? Because... Again, thematically, what does this say about Dallas? How does this perpetuate your culture of the city, of the team? It it really does just look like, you know, like, yo, I heard Luca likes gold, you guys. Yeah, like, man, Luca really liked those jerseys that Trey Young was wearing last year for Atlanta. Why don't we just do that <laughs> do but put like Dallas that. on it? Yeah, they do look like that. Uh, right. Um, and, and the last, or the second one to me is the the Clippers uh, and they're basically returning their repeat San Andreas offenders. jerseys. Yes, repeat offenders from last year. And I saw so, this jersey get so much love that you know, kind of old English like San Andreas font, Los Angeles, the white jerseys. It was fine. I didn't think they were bad, but I didn't think they blew my socks off or anything. No, every idea behind this uniform is awesome. Like if, you know, you're in the meeting and you're drawing it all up on the whiteboard and you're trying to decide what all aesthetics are going to be blended into this uniform. But then it's just like they just copy pasted everything on to get a general idea and then accidentally sent that off. Like they like the font doesn't really look like it organically fits on the uniform. I think that's where you're getting some of your gas station, you know aesthetic from is like the aspect ratio and then right. not stylizing the numbers right. with that lettering keeping your numbers from your other uniforms with your NBA live font it's 
a terrible mismatch of bad choices with good intentions. Right. And they're trying to like, you know, like ram in there the red and blue with the armhole like linings that mm-hmm. it, it's missing some this feels it just kind of feels incomplete to me. I agree with you that that you mention it. Like the details on the fringes are are just exactly like the other jerseys and and what's different about this one isn't special enough to to scream, you know, awesome city jersey. And it might look better with the court, like with the black than the white. I I don't see it though. That's a possibility. You know, we needed more black uniforms. So good thing that the Clippers got another one. They've also been driving this whole aesthetic of like, we're the blue collar South side LA team, you know, Lakers are the fancy pants. And I think they're trying to keep, digging into that but it's it's not working right. i mean if you go anywhere in this city it's clippers fan is as rare as finding a fresh piece of grass you know it's concrete and lakers fans <laughs> <laughs> well said um my final gas station special here is the oakland we believe inspired warriors jersey now if you haven't seen this this is a throwback to like the dark navy blues and the oranges and the burnt oranges from the we believe like Baron Davis team, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that aesthetic with Oakland written across the front, and for me, it it's not as bad or as gas stationy as the other ones, but it's still got some. It's got like cool neighborhood gas station vibes to me. Like this is like the mm. upscale neighborhood where like people pump the gas for you. Sure, you're like at a Bucky's or something like that. Sure, yeah. People in the Midwest know what I'm talking about. That are Quick Trip. Shout out to you in the Midwest. I put these on its own separate list, the disrespectful as fuck list. Yes. And it's just them on their own right now. They just left Oakland. And now they're putting Oakland on the uniform? Uh, (laughs) Light years ahead, right? Yeah, it's tough. And that team is... That team had such a fun... I was talking to my friend about this. That Oracle had such a fun vibe to it. Even before they got good. Uh, totally. Natural, real people. Real fans coming from the Bay. You know, uh, especially Oakland. You know, and now they're in the fancy part of town, like down by the wharf. Like, it's a nightmare to go to games there, apparently. Because parking is just impossible. It's going to go down as a sports curse. Yeah. Mark my words. I, I hope so. It will go down as like the curse of Oakland or something of that nature. Like the Warriors aren't going to win again now that they've moved and that they move the team in the middle of a dominant run yeah. is going to be looked back at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just, they feel like the San Francisco kind of yuppies team now where before they were like the team of the people and this jersey tries to go back to that but they have gone so much past that that it's like dude just do another chinese new year jersey and make your money in china and go home (laughs) (laughs) spoken like a true lakers fan i'm not mad Uh, the the only uh gas station special i have to add is the pels i don't know what's going on there that looks like some clip art i don't understand what the blue stripe is gonna be when it's tucked into the uniform maybe the shorts are blue or maybe we just don't no. ever see that blue stripe. We've seen the shorts, by the way. I don't know if I sent this to you, but the shorts are basically like three quarters white with a blue stripe at the very bottom. 
Oh, that's so weird. So it'd go like red, white, a little bit of blue, more white, a little bit more blue. And the blue in the middle is depending on if it's like how, Rip Hamilton tucking his t- uniform yes. or yes. Da- Damian Lillard who Dame get, likes that tight jersey. <laughs> Someone was like, how do we put literally a French flag on a jersey and do nothing else? Oh, Pelicans. Well, they don't have a lot else going on good there. So, yeah. At least they're being talked about. I mean, I don't know if you want to just kind of run through some of the other ones we haven't talked about that that kind of fall in the, you know, didn't fall into some of our categories. But, you know, Atlanta did an entire rebrand. We'll get to these categories soon. But what did you think about their MLK City jerseys? Because I thought they looked pretty cool. I totally agree. It's, you know, that black and gold aesthetic that I'm fond of. Uh, Not actually, I have them in my top three. I have that, the Spurs Fiesta uniforms. Yes. So clean. So clean. It kind of a little bit reminds me of the Trailblazers with Mm -hmm. that, you know, slanting horizontal stripes going across the front. And then Dallas with their 90s greens with Mm. the... Like the Steve Nash jerseys? Yeah, like early Steve Nash mm-hmm. uniforms. I want them to bring back that aesthetic completely. Like get rid of that blue, black, and white horse head and bring back the M with the hat on mm-hmm. it. I just think that that's cooler and bringing green in as a nice cutting color against the blue and white always looks good, in my opinion. It's not used by a bunch of teams. Yeah. And, I mean, we talked about their other new uniform yeah. and their uniforms from the past few years. So it's a huge improvement. So maybe that's how it got into my top three. It's I, my expectations were so low for the Mavs that when I saw this, I was like, oh, I, I like it. Okay. No, totally. Um, I think everything you said there was spot on. The Spurs Fiesta one feels almost, I was going to say Portland too. And it also feels kind of like rainbowy, right? With the pastels and something cool mm-hmm. about the you know, again, the black and white with a multicolor pattern on it somewhere. There's a great... Because, dude, the Spurs, in my opinion, would have been top three in worst city jerseys before this year. You remember when they did the camo jersey? They do them every year because of pop. It's... I get it. Respect. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. it. I mean, I'm not going to... But it's not very it. creative. It's not. It doesn't look good. I think you could do those in a more creative way, you know? Um Totally. So for years they have people have been clamoring for Fiesta to come back and you know credit to them those those came back. Um, did you have a chance to see the two different Miami Vice jerseys? Uh, and did you have any particular like did they hit it out of the park again on both of them? You think? Yes, just because it is the Miami Vice colors, I don't think that you can't hit it out of the park with that. But I definitely liked the. One with the 3D letters a lot more than the gradient one. Right. The gradient one, it looks cool, but it kind of looks like those sports cars that get that weird paint job that looks different in different lights. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, I mean, that aesthetic with the vice is arguably the coolest aesthetic going on in the NBA currently. Yeah. What do you think about them? I tend to agree. Uh, I th- I wonder if the gradient on it's like a little too strong because it's a gradient mm-hmm. from blue to pink. And... The blue and pink colors they have is really good. It's just like the gradient's too fast. I don't know. I want more middle ground where they come together and kind of form this purplish. You know, that might be like something I'd lean toward. But the white ones with the with the gradient lettering are clean AF. Uh, I really like those. As do I. 
I'm excited to see them on the court as well because they yeah. always do a cool court design yeah. with those uniforms. And same with the the court design for the Spurs. Mm. I'm interested to see what that looks like if they do the you know, Fiesta aesthetic throughout, mm-hmm. you know, with the warm-ups and the court. And the Hornets, too, uh, with the, the mint jersey. I liked those. Uh, I know we're trying to keep it positive here. I did not like the Hornets little rebrand here. They've been rebranding, I feel like, every year since they changed from the Bobcats. Yeah. They're not bad. I love the Jordan logo on all of them. That's really cool. But I don't feel like they're different enough to warrant a whole new rebrand and slate of uniforms. But if they keep these for a while, then I think I'll be okay with it. I think I'm just sick of all the change. I get that. They added some gold kind of uh, pinstriping to a couple of them and co- some gold kind of trim that I think helps that teal pop. They also kind of slightly brighten the teal, I think, to where it's a little more mint chocolate chip color than, you know, like mm. teal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they're at least they're working toward a culture of something that makes sense. So I'll give them credit there. But, I mean, they're not the only team to rebrand. We've got a few nominees here if we want to get into kind of the new developments of the jerseys, the new... Yeah, let's get into it. You know, so we have, first of all, um, Orlando's completely out of left field, nowhere in their history, shift to this electric orange, this creamsicle Tampa Bay orange. Last year, they had the orange aesthetic as well with the ORL. But that was new as well, is my point, is that's not anywhere Mm -hmm. from their past. No, you're completely right. I love it. And I'm usually not big on orange, specifically as a color, but bring on the orange. These are cool, and they really embody Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, Miami does such a good job about feeling so Miami that I feel like Orlando should embrace, you know, the orange and the beach fun aesthetic. What do you think about them? That's a great point. I hadn't considered kind of like them embracing the Florida kind of vibes because you're right. The the pinstripes that they're kind of known for are classic, but they're a little more like northern East Coast. You know, you think of the Yankees, the Red Sox, other Mm -hmm. teams that use pinstripes a little more, you know, northeastern, I think. But what's cool about these is the pinstripes kind of like flare up as you go. So the top half of the jersey almost like is like rising sunish with that orange. Yeah, totally. And they threw the star in on the front, which is like a nice little touch. You know, they kept their font on the orange ones from last season. It was almost like a space age font Mm -hmm. on there. And it really looked out of left field, but those were clean as well. And I don't know if I absolutely love these uniforms overall. Like I could, you know, I could change some things if I'm thinking about it, but the orange aesthetic that they're going towards full steam ahead, please more orange all the time. No, totally. Yeah, I, I'm fully on board with it as well. Um, so we are both thumbs up on that one. What about the uh, the Chicago's use of, we mentioned it before, the classical musicals font, kind of using culture in a different way to uh, embrace a city than just like, oh, this is our landmark. Oh, this is our you know longitude and latitude. They used a culturally <laughs> Chicago thing you know, correlated thing. What do you think about kind of how they approach that jersey? Oh, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I'm a big fan of it. I think that more cities should try to do this, like we said, with New York. And I think that it's good that they didn't make it too busy because mm. it 
could have gotten the boathouse effect really quickly if they went with theater lights or a big flashy theater sign. But that clean font on the just dark black uniform with the gold lettering and the red just shadowing it just to give it a little bit of contrast is subtle enough that it doesn't scream out at you. And I think it's I think it's cool, man. What you know, what do you think of the rebrand? I think it's I think it's good. I don't know if it was completely necessary because to your point, I think they were on the Mm -hmm. right track. But, you know, so what it remains to be seen if they'll follow up on, you know, this train of thought or if they'll kind of go back to where they were. But I'm in on it. Yeah, I like it. What do you think of Atlanta's full rebrand? Much, much needed. Uh, You know, they were messing around with that neon yellowish green for the longest time and you know, that weird kind of, not Aztecian, but you know, those like uh, patterns and textures that they'd have. They not quite it was like checkered. bird feathering, bird like feathering. a hawk. Right, right, right. That's, and I didn't before that. that, before that with the navy blues was even worse. Yeah, the Joe Johnson era. It's so funny that you say it needed to, ha- I, that's what I have in my notes. It needed to happen. The hawks yeah. have been on a uniform odyssey since the early 2000s. Yeah. They just lost their way and yeah. finally found their way back home. And they have such a good, like, red, orange, and white is no one else has that. Uh, I mean, kind of the Rockets kind of rock that when they go back to their old schools as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, you ever watch old highlights of Neek and those old Hawks teams? Like, those jerseys are clean, man. Those, And this is like a throwback jersey that I can get behind returning. Right. They almost took the best parts of the old aesthetic and brought it into the new age as as opposed to just going fully back into it. Yeah. I could still go for the 90s with the big hawk on the side uniform. Give me that one, please, in the next couple of years as like a special city edition. But it needed to happen. And we talked about the MLK uniform, one of my favorites. I mean, really, honestly, it could have looked like anything. And if they just put MLK and nothing else on there, it's going to be a top three uniform. For sure. Because fuck yeah, MLK. But the fact that it's super good looking, black and gold, clean, I'm all for it. Yeah. And the only thing I wanted to say about Atlanta is that... I'm slightly disappointed that they abandoned the peach tree uh, angle so Mm. quickly because those peach and black jerseys. Those were nice. Man, with the court too. Like, there's something about pastels in sports that, like, you don't see super often. You start to see more of it. But when it's done well, it's unlike any other team. It's not the classic black and gold, even though that's great. It's not red, Mm -hmm. white, and blue. It's not, it's different. You know, and it it feels like you're going to a place when you see those color schemes. It's so, you know, unique to those places. So I'm slightly disappointed. I hope they bring those back. I think we talked about this when they released those peach uniforms. But that particular color or a hue close to it is like outlawed in NCAA sports to be in locker rooms because it's been proven to calm people. So certain teams would paint the visiting locker room that really calming peach pink tone. And when they bust out those uniforms, that was one of my very first thoughts is, ooh, they're going to calm their opponents. This is going to be a little psychological, you know, warfare (laughs) going on on the court. Uh, And they looked so nice. Couldn't agree more. So yeah, RIP to the peach trees. Hopefully those come back soon. Yeah. What did you think of the Raptors rebrand? 
Why? That's yep. Couldn't have Why? said it better myself. All yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a thing, right? If you're gonna rebrand, like rebrand. Mm-hmm. It, but and to me, this is like adjacent to their current path. Like, if you had told me this was their jerseys last year. I, I probably couldn't have been like, no, 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 this is different, and that's different, and, you know, it's so similar with the, uh, you know, they got the, the Ovo, the the kind of peak there, they got We the North on some of them, I don't know, it's fine, they don't look awful, I think the, the red ones look pretty cool, I like the red ones. Yeah, they don't look bad, but they just did a huge overhaul, and then they won the title. Mm-hmm. Why are you then changing your uniforms? The, no, keep those. Those have become classic now. You just won the title on those. Wear those forever. Right. Those are the ones you go back to. Right. These are like, you're totally right. They're like combining the past few years worth of uniforms into like this new weird amalgamation of uniforms. And they none of them really turned out great, unfortunately. And they're kind of boring. Yeah. And they were boring before, but they were like old school boring, like in their simplicity. Now these are just trying really hard and they're still boring. I don't know. And they, like you said, they really missed the mark on their city gold and black jersey. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, they didn't drop the bag. They didn't knock it out of the park. It's just kind of why is my final thought there. I don't know. Totally agree. We, uh, we had some teams that have not released uniforms yet and we've listed them out here. Maybe some predictions or suggestions for each team mm-hmm. what do you think boston's gonna do i mean what's the least amount of effort they can do oh <laughs> i i saw a leaked jersey where they just literally put boston on top of celtics and called it a new jersey hey that's better than the cs rise oh no you're right oh, i forgot <laughs> about that yeah the celtics never do anything dramatic i did and you know we talked about the texturing of those brooklyn uniforms earlier and i'm usually opposed to texturing patterns on uniform but i did like the parquet court pattern because that's so boston specific right that they had on those gray uniforms a couple years ago but i think they should embrace their like original og shamrock with celtics written over it and then put the uniform number in the shamrock i mean yeah, I have. I don't know, man. As a Lakers fan, all of my Boston jerseys uh, suggestions will probably be, you know, a little too racy slash hateful, um, spiteful of the Boston people. But You're like, what will make the best chamois for my car? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Can they put like, we probably definitely might trade you on the back of their jerseys in you know small lettering. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they are not a loyal bunch there in Boston. Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. What about Cleveland? So Cleveland to me, I don't know about you, it's been synonymous with like completely wrong colorways lately. So like the last few, few years, I remember seeing Larry Nance in this like gray and blue and like kind of yellowish like jersey i don't know if you remember those the land yeah the land exactly Mm -hmm. i it just looks like a nuggets jersey like weirdly um i don't know if cleveland has ever had a good jersey in my lifetime i liked the uniforms when like lebron went back there initially was that in 14 like those super clean they just you know were red and yellow yeah those are better those are better. 
No, I mean, they've basically used every throwback design possible in the past 10 years, plus multiple logo redesigns. They just need to chill out for Mm -hmm. a little bit and like get good at like the basketball thing and then get good uniforms. But right now they've just, they've really gone too hard. It's like a kid who's had just too much sugar and he just needs to sit down for a little bit and have some water. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Their Chill jerseys out, Dan Gilbert. also just feel kind of directionless to me. Like the land is, you know, like in the vein of Motor City or Buzz City or all those, you know, the Valley jersey, which we haven't brought up yet, that are actually pretty cool. I I like those. I like those less than I did the first time I saw them. I don't know. We can get into that separately, but no one. I don't know. No one calls it the land. We don't know it, that. You know, that's. What do you? What is Cleveland even known for? Right, like manufacturing. Like what? What do you thematically rally behind in a place like Cleveland's? Maybe they have a harder job than we're giving them credit for. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. They're just waiting till 2035 when LeBron finally retires and they can have a LeBron edition uniform like the Mamba ones. It would just be like a king or something, like a king crown logo. Hmm, what? What would the LeBron uniform? Hmm. That or they would go back to that like 2003 aesthetic. Oh God, no, 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 no. But maybe those could go the full circle, like the Raptors uniforms, like where they're, where they're so cool ugly, now? they're cool again. Yeah. See, I thought the Raptors was cool in the moment. I thought the Pistons was cool in the moment because they look dated now. But back then, when you're used to like boring Lakers and boring Knicks and boring Celtics. That's true. You see this Pistons, like, Raptors, like, Memphis, or, you know, Vancouver, Atlanta. They've got, like, entire, like, fucking images on their jerseys. And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's and totally, yeah. No, you're right. They didn't age well, but I don't know. Cleveland was never one of those to me. <laughs> um, well, what about Houston? I mean, they've done some, you know, Chinese-themed things. Uh, over the last few years, you know, because of their heavy kind of fan base in China and because money, you know, let's do another one. <laughs> yeah, in your notes, I was cracking up when I read them <laughs> yesterday. You're like, probably something Chinese because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true, I'm though. Really... <laughs> no, it's totally true. I mean, I really dug the weird NASA uniforms from last year. I did I'm big too. on outer space and space travel. So even though those weren't that good looking, I hope they lean into that aesthetic. You know, maybe do like a space shuttle uniform edition, right. you know, honoring like the Challenger or something of that nature. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I really, I liked that the Zero had the slash mm-hmm. through it and Westbrook wore Zero. Mm-hmm. So it just, mm. That's what you do. You take small, small things. It's it's about the details. Yes, absolutely. So I'm with you there. I, I liked Houston stuff. And it's another one like like the ones I just mentioned that those Barkley rockets with the cheesy pinstripes and the and like the literal clip art rocket. Mm-hmm. Bring those back for for a season. Uh, all for it. Do it while you still have Harden and you'll still be selling uniforms. <laughs> oh, you hate to see it. Um, but what about a team that we uh, also haven't heard anything about in Indiana? I mean, I feel like what what I thought was my prediction is like, I don't know, but there's probably going to be a lot of shapes. This is true. They do like their shapes. I will say that I've enjoyed their 
recent run on like city edition like those indy 500 car Mm -hmm. uniforms where the number was on like the left chest and it was in the circle like a racing number yep i think it's time for the 2000s like reggie jalen pinstripe throwbacks yeah it's time we need those i think preferably the like the yellow with the navy blue i was just gonna say those yellow ones pop in a particularly crisp way to me but uh i don't know i mean i i'm gathering we also like pinstripes when they're done well seems a couple of teams are starting to bring those back a little bit more um mm-hmm. so yeah i'm with it maybe it's uh the last dance influenced me seeing those old Ooh. highlights and i was like yeah. man those are just so clean yeah i don't know the pacers while their jerseys have been good they are like a really really cool college program Mm-hmm. uniforms you know and mm-hmm. maybe it's the michigan colors that kind of say that to me as well but they've been changing it up so much that they need to get back to some sort of classic aesthetic i think they do a pretty good job on the whole uh as far as their jerseys go they're they're pretty good they're they're pretty good totally agree yeah yeah thumbs up for me they, they got a good logo good colors to mm-hmm. work with mm-hmm. so it's a good place to start what about milwaukee i mean i haven't i saw like a blue like potential leak that was like the most generic city jersey you'd ever seen it's basically just blue and says milwaukee it's blue and white like the greek colors right like i mean if you're gonna do that then do that right like put the jersey and says milwaukee in greek or you know it says make a a greek flag jersey you know like go all in, yeah, whatever do, you can. <laughs> do it. Yes, yes. Uh, all I want is more Cream City. Phrasing. I want Cream City forever, every year until I die. Phrasing, understood though. <laughs> um, Milwaukee's Cream City. I thought they were abominable at first, but they grew on me. I don't know. This is, I still think they're meh. Uh, but it's like the land, but cool. The off-white. I think you can sell me on. Off-white, mm-hmm. I think, needs some more love. And I just didn't love their... It was still, again, kind of bland and not a whole else not a whole else going on there, you know? Um, but Yeah, more just about the name. Right, right. So my my next team, and I, I wonder if you agree with me here, this might be it. This might be the year that the Wolves finally make a wolf on a jersey look cool. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Fair, but... Elaborate. Yeah, I guess I should be more positive, but man, the Wolves have had <laughs> arguably the worst uniforms in the NBA over the past decade. Except they the really Prince don't... jerseys. Except the Prince jerseys. See, those Prince uniforms remind me a lot of like the Los Angeles Clippers Grand Theft Auto ones, where like okay. the the seed of the idea is awesome. Like I totally see it on the whiteboard. This is a great idea. The execution of it was extremely poor. Hmm. I don't think that it ended up being that popular of a uniform, but the idea of it was so cool. Have you seen a leak with a wolf on it? Or are you just hoping like for no, an I'm Atlanta hope- Hawk style? They, like they have the pieces, right? They have, mm-hmm. again, you're the Timberwolves. You're the wolves. You have a wolf. Wolves are awesome. Wolf pack. Yes. And there's so many things. And, and, you know, they mock up all these lame logos of a half, a wolf howling at the moon. And, you know, like, that's it's not it, man. It's They're too cartoony. They're 
Then they try to make him look too aggressive. They have just missed the mark entirely, and I don't think it's that hard to just make a cool wolf jersey. Wow, I never even considered that. Yeah, they do have like a top five mascot. The only uniform that I like from their past are those black Kevin Garnett uniforms, like the ones uh, Rose went for 50 in. Mm-hmm. Was that last year or the year before? Mm-hmm. With like the tree trim? Mm-hmm. But those are almost like that fully around the circle cool. Like mm-hmm. they weren't super cool when they're out, but now they're cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe a wolf on the uniform. I really don't. They, they can only go up from here. Right, right. I don't know what they're going to do, though. Uh, what about OKC? Another repeat offender of some of the worst uniforms in the NBA. Oh, man. So we just got a leak before we started recording. So we do actually have a little bit of insight. But my speculation before we saw anything was um, that they'd somehow find a way to make their orange even brighter and to cover their entire jersey in it. <laughs> uh, that's not what happened. No, uh, they went for a, like a NASCAR driver <laughs> outfit aesthetic. They even got the nice big loves patch right there. Who wears number three? Not anyone on the team anymore, but that's... Well, they need to get a number three, because that uniform will sell like hotcakes along (laughs) I-35. I mean, this kind of also falls in the gas station specials to me, if this uh, leak is true. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, it feels Midwestern-ish to you. I'll take your word on that. Oh, man, if you've ever driven on I-35 from Kansas City to Dallas, like the only thing in between those two cities is Loves and Subway. <laughs> now, their their uniforms have felt like a, like a sponsored AAU team for like the past 10 years. Uh, they could potentially join the disrespectful as fuck category, mm. and they could do like a Sonics throwback and oh, just no. really stick some middle fingers oh, up to God. Seattle. Like do like those red and green 90s mm. Kemp Payton era but have it say thunder, just giving the bird to the Northwest. Seriously. But, but I mean, their main problem is like they have too many colors and a dumb name. So like, it's like the opposite is the Pacers. The Pacers have cool colors and a good name. It's like, you're just starting from a much better place. And with the thunder, I mean, can you imagine the person working at Nike and they're like, make a cool uniform for the thunder. And you're sitting there like, what the fuck do I do? You know, draw Buffalo on it. Yeah. Well, now, I, the only cool ones are those Native American teal ones, and I hope they do that, that right. they work with the Native American community, let them continue to design it, kind of the same way Brooklyn's reaching out to artists, mm-hmm. but like reach out specifically to like Native American artists and let them design cool. one a year. Yeah, because those teal ones were cool. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, what else are you doing? I also literally just now consider that them and the Knicks have the same color scheme which I'm not sure that's the kind of color scheme you want to kind of rip off the you know, blue and orange and white. Um, I don't know. It doesn't, it, in theory it works, but blue and orange complimentary, but in execution, it's just, yeah. Another thing of having a, a mascot or a team name that is not like a physical, tangible thing that you can represent through visuals, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, they'd almost be better off if they were the Lightning, but I digress. It's it's tough. I don't remember a jersey I like from them other than the, the teal Native American one. Yeah, I think that's legitimately the only OKC uniform I've ever liked. Yeah. 
Well, that was a lot of uniform talk, and I'm sure as this season continues, we will continue to track those. But we're going to talk a little bit here about non-player moves in the Mm -hmm. league that have happened here so far. What move do you think is going to have the biggest impact for next season, specifically? Mm -hmm. Right. And this is tough. I mean, you look at coaches, assistant coaches, GMs, ownership, right? You could think of... Mm -hmm. What if the guy in Utah decides to go all in and decides to pay the tax and, you know, put all those pieces in into the middle of the table right away? Which owner has taken a hit during the pandemic and isn't wanting to spend for the next season? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to consider here. But ultimately, because of situation and because of talent and resources, I think it's Daryl Morey. Um, And I feel stupid at this point to admit that I've been pretty high on the Sixers long-term, at least. I didn't pick them to make the finals or anything last year um, or the year before that, but I I think that their, their core of young, talented players, you know, before they muddied it up with Harris and, and Horford, mm-hmm. I, you know, was a huge Embiid fan, and I still think that how he can score efficiently in certain parts of the court that... Daryl will be able to maximize his uh, efficiency and dominance. And Mm -hmm. it's not people think that he's coming from Houston and he's going to make the Sixers play the same way and shoot threes. That's not what Daryl is to me. Daryl's reading what you're good at. Let me put you around pieces that help you be good at that. And then I'm going to teach you how to cut out the things you're bad at. So stop shooting all these fucking threes. Like, shoot threes, but shoot these threes, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you don't get Ben Simmons to shoot threes, the things that he can do around the fringes of the roster, um, can he turn a Josh Richardson into two role players? You know, I think he could. I think Mm -hmm. he understands better than, you know, 99.9% of GMs how to maximize the team in front of you um, and give credit to the Rockets, right? They almost beat the Warriors. They went all in trying to beat the Warriors, at least. And they fell short. But but you have to respect it. Yeah. You have to. You have to respect it. And they went about it. Like, think about where they've come, come, right? When they had Dwight Howard, they got Chris Paul, now Russell Westbrook, and now they're starting to fall apart. When they got Dwight and he left, I was like, they're done. I don't know who else is coming. Then they magically turn it into Chris Paul, right? Yeah. Chris Paul falls apart. They're done. What are they going to do? He always finds a way to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And And I think... And even before all of that, when he had Yao and T-Mac, and he built it into the Harden Rockets without tanking or losing. Right. Without... Not... Without, you know, like, missing the playoffs. He still continued to win and make the playoffs, and he retooled a team to be a different-looking type of champion. It's yeah. so impressive. Yeah. I think the only trade he ever lost in his tenure in Houston was the Russell Westbrook trade. It's the only trade I would objectively look at back and say that he didn't either get the best player or get the best value. I completely agree, and I think that there is speculation on whether that was fully his decision. He's 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 claiming it is, uh, you know, to save face, and I understand why, to, you know... Right, because that's decision. what you do. Yeah, that's yeah, what you do, absolutely. and I respect that. I respect that. But I, but I, if if you look at his track record, and then you look at that trade, there's a disconnect there. 
there's something different happening with the decision making on the Westbrook trade that was not happening before. Absolutely. So maybe there's more voices in the room Mm -hmm. other than him. Mm -hmm. I can't argue that I'm a huge Maury fan. I would maybe even argue that he'll have a bigger impact over the next five years than next season specifically because he doesn't have a lot of time to maneuver and Philly's cap issues are tough tough right now. So my choice, I went with with Tibbs, with Tom Thibodeau. Hmm. Um, Like when he took over for the Bulls, they had a 21-game win improvement, and Derrick Rose won the MVP. When he took over the Timberwolves, they were awful, and he still had a win increase, and it was only Cat's second year. And we know he's going to just exclusively play the good players a 1,000 minutes. So, like, the Knicks are going to win more games. They only won 21 games last year. I see them winning probably 30 to 32 this upcoming year just because Tibbs is going to have that team playing hard and not having shitty players on the court. Hmm. I wouldn't want him coaching my team. I'm so glad that he's not the Kings coach. But I think that he's good, especially early with the team, like in year one and year two. So what do you think are like... And obviously, we're recording this before the draft, before a free agency. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you got Leon Rose there now. A lot more well-connected, well-respected GM than they've had in, in the past, uh, you know, five years. Um, what do you think... The past is, five years? I mean, I Phil Jackson is respected. He doesn't do a good job, but he is respected, okay? <laughs> he barely did the job. <laughs> um, so I was just going to ask, like, what team theoretically through trades maybe it's westbrook maybe it's you know trying to move up in the draft they have got they're one of the few teams with cap space in a year that Mm -hmm. you might not want it so Mm -hmm. what's are like what are good tibbs players like what's the perfect pathway for a tibbs revival in new york you can see i think it starts with van vliet Mm. i think you Offer him whatever whatever number he needs to hear. Because mm. I think that that dude is the kind of dude you want in a locker room, and a Tibbs locker room at that. He's mm. a gamer. He's unfazed. He's won a championship. Right. And he's like one of those guys who's like bet on himself, overcome not being the strongest, the fastest, the tallest. He's a total Tibbs gamer type player. And I think that he could bring like some sort of like structure to the Knicks. And also, you know, he could control the pace of games. He would have the ball a lot of the time, you know, now that he's not playing with Kyle Lowry. For sure. So I think going after a free agent like that, like not the total cream of the crop or shooting too high for like Chris Paul or Westbrook, Mm -hmm. but shooting right below that and just overpay them a little bit just to bring them in the door and to start a real culture. And he's young enough, too, to where like even on the next contract, theoretically, you could still be contending and you might not have to pay him as much at that point but he's still a good player yeah he's not super beating you with his athleticism so if that falls off Mm -hmm. a little bit and you presume he's gonna get smarter and you know a lot more skilled as a leader hopefully i like that fit i think that's the kind of guy that you slightly overpay but Mm -hmm. a guy who can go to the rest of the league with a straight face and say we're a legit team again you know the knicks are a legit organization again and we're doing things the right way and that's, and that's they have, the first step. Yeah. 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 They just have to become respectable. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then, yeah, move on from there. Um, uh, which... So I like that. I like Tibbs, though. No, no. I was just going to say, I, I'm less skeptical. Like, you said 32 wins. And you got to remember, that's almost 500 this season. 
Right. And I mean, that's a lot more wins for a team. That's 10 more wins. Yeah. But you got to imagine that's how Tibbs rolls. He likes winning games specifically. He's not much for like, leave them out there and let them learn. He'll just sure. pull you off and put somebody better in. So we'll see. Well, it'll be fun to see what he can do defensively with guys like Mitchell Robinson and Nilakina, you know, like more defensive driven guys uh, to kind of mold them and maybe even get them to all defense level guys. I could definitely see that happen, especially if Van Vliet comes in there and kind of mm. spearheads the defense. He mm. would be, you know, spearheading that zone for the Raptors a lot mm. in the playoffs and putting him at the top and he would force, you know, the play left or right, at least control half the court that way. Right. So, yeah, their defense should be good. Hopefully Tibbs is like backed off on ice and all of his defensive principles from a bygone era because that's not going to work in 2020, 2021. <laughs> I mean, you still ice. You just don't need to be at half court screaming at dudes to ice. <laughs> like, that's the issue. It's like, ice, dude, ice. you know when to ice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, which non-player move will have the biggest impact over the next five seasons? What do you got here, Tom? This was tough, too, because I was trying to kind of see the future. You know, I thought of teams who might be in a position to fire their GM in the near future. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I considered putting Danny Ainge here because I think he is at a tipping point in his organization after years of being touted for having draft picks and draft picks and resources and assets. And Mm -hmm. he's going to come out of this era with Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, which is nice, but it's not Kawhi, it's not Paul George, and it's not Anthony Davis. So if they peter out and they can't get above a past of Eastern Conference Finals in the next three years. I you know, I don't think it'll happen, but I think it's worth top mentioning. So I'm gonna put that off the board, get my mm-hmm. little Celtic slander out of my system so I can talk about the guy I want to talk about in Steve Nash, because the Nets are the most recently constructed like super team, super duper team, right? You got them and the Lakers kind of came around at the same time, but KD mm-hmm. was hurt, so they're waiting. Now you've got all this buzz about James Harden potentially becoming in the fold. And where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. I'm not saying he's going to be traded there, but I'm saying there's a non-zero chance. And if that happens, even if it doesn't happen, Steve Nash is my pick. But this is a guy who you know hasn't coached in the league. Mm-hmm. Spent a few years with the Warriors. He's like a player development, player skills guy. Right. Obviously, no one's going to question his basketball intellect. However, there are differences in leading a team as a player, as the best player, as the floor general, and Mm -hmm. leading a team as the coach. Because you don't have the ball in your hands, Steve Nash. Kyrie Irving has the ball in his hands. And you think Kyrie's a head coach, too. Well, yeah, that's fortunate for them because they have a thousand (laughs) head coaches, and he's a head coach, and Steve Nash is our backup point guard. Everything's great. (laughs) But does that structure really work? I mean, who's the only other player you say is the coach on the floor? Like, really, like, is their head coach? It's LeBron, right? LeBron's always that player who's like, yeah, Vogel made the adjustments, but we know LeBron had a say in it or pushed him that direction. Is there any chance Steve Nash is able to make Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant play in a way that they don't want to but will help them win games? I'm just skeptical. 
Yeah, it's tough to see it. Kyrie has kind of flamed out the past few seasons. Just like when things aren't going his way, all of a sudden he gets an injury and he's just out for the rest of the year. Like he didn't go down to the bubble. He's just kind of MIA. And KD is a weird cat himself. I mean, he, with all his Twitter stuff, and he's clearly affected by what people say and the fact that people don't really respect those rings that he won when they should. I mean... Sure. I don't think that he has anything to hang his head about. He was their best player. Against, he joined he against the LeBron team. James in a finals yeah. and na- nailed the game-winning shot basically oh, in yeah. his eye. Nothing, you know, there. But Steve Nash is a good dude, and I think that's going to help him. He's not only like a really talented player and a good basketball mind, but you just hear from everybody that they get along with him, and I think that he's really good with connecting with everybody. We know whether it be the 12th man or Amari, you know, who we know is kind of crazy there for a certain period of time. I think that he's really good with people and that's going to help him. But the actual basketball aspect, I'm very interested to watch it because the second things start breaking down, Kyrie and KD are going to start isoing and they're going to shoot tough contested shots and play Kobe ball and they're not Kobe. Yeah. So I don't think that that's going to work out too well for them. And that's, Brooklyn needs... Go ahead. No, no. That's why it's the future to me, right? We talked about the present with, with Morey and with Tibbs. But to the future for me is the Nets are legitimately and, and properly a top five title contender right now. And we haven't ever mm-hmm. seen them play a game together. This is with or without Harden, right? And Harden just right. kind of like exacerbates all of these concerns. Because if you have those three guys, then you are the favorite. Like, straight up. Like, you are the Definitely. favorite. Yeah. And expectations could, if you don't live up to that after year one, okay, maybe, you know, we'll run it back. We'll get a little bit better role players. But if mm-hmm. after year two, three, you're not regularly in the finals and winning at least two to three games in the finals minimum, you know, that's the tipping point for a team like that where they could miss their window. And I'm not saying it's Steve Nash's fault, but he is going to have the most kind of scapegoatism, if you will. That's a great point. If they don't. I totally agree. If Harden does go there, they're going to be a great defensive team. With Durant Mm. and Harden on the court, they can both switch on to anybody. Durant's great at protecting the rim, and I think Harden is a concrete block. When it comes to people trying to move him off a spot, I think that he's really, really good when he wants to be. I think defensively in the playoffs that they could lock people down with having their best offensive player still on the court. I mean, Harden can guard up in the post, but the issue for him and Kyrie is kind of perimeter D. Yeah, yeah, an off-ball defense. Right, right. So that's but maybe you work your matchups that way. But, you put but, Harden on a bigger guy. And but they're going to score play. 130 points a game, so who cares, <laughs> right? Like... Great point. Yeah, what am I talking about defense? With, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong there. Like, obviously, those guys aren't just 30-point-a-game scorers. You also have incredible passing from three different positions. Mm-hmm. And you're basically always having at least one of them on the court, and they're all three good with the ball in their hands. Now, that'd be a dangerous team, but it has not happened yet. It we can talk happened. about it here in a couple weeks. We'll That's see right. if there's been some player movement. What about uh, you, though? My- yeah, my pick here for the next five years, it's a homer pick, <laughs> but I'm going with uh, Monty McNair. Okay. Uh, the Kings, we already have one piece, Fox, and like we're in a good position to build 
We don't have a lot of bad contracts. We don't have, you know, really a good chance at winning as long as Luke Walton's our coach. So we're going to be in, you know, the lottery for the next couple of years. But basically this is like wins above replacement. This is a war statistic. Mm -hmm. You go from having the guy who like passed on Luca to like a young, smart, you know, I have to live with it every day. The only reason I don't cry every night is because I have Mahomes in my life. That's fair. So yeah. I feel, yeah, like the Perfect scales ev- evened yeah. out there. Yeah. Right. But now we have like a smart, young, analytics-driven GM for the very first time. And I think that Vivek is genuinely a good owner. Like, because he like cares. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think he's had his new owner spending and controlling things and now is chilled out as an NBA owner. They all right. have to go through it. We're bombers in, in the middle of it hardcore right now. Over-enthusiasm, right? Too much Correct. enthusiasm. Like Jerry yep. Jones' level of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that never wore off for Jerry Jones. No. but it, And I don't really have a lot to say other than that. I'm really excited for the first time in a okay. long time as a Kings fan. Having McNair run the show, and like I said, we just got to get Walton out of there, but keep right. him around this year so we can lose some games. So where do you land on the the Buddy uh, Bogdanovich uh, conundrum that y'all have this summer? I want Bogdanovich yeah. 10 out of 10 times over Buddy, for sure. So do you think, um, and we just saw a couple kind of like trades happen, but do you think that Buddy is kind of being shopped or being kind of... Because he has a pretty big contract kind of kicking in this year. He does, but I think that also allows them to either get two role players or a good player back with that contract. Mm-hmm. And I mean, him not answering the calls of Walton, if if a dude doesn't want to be there, that's just not my kind of dude. That's not a professional that I want in my locker room, period. Sure. Even if you don't want to be there, don't send out the Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here tweet. Just like you're getting millions of dollars, you're a professional, go to work and then assess your situation when you can or keep it in-house. You know yeah. what I mean? So that stuff really bothers me. And I haven't seen a package floated out there that I really like. So I don't have like a trade that I could point to specifically. Right. You know, if if the Clips want to trade Paul George for Buddy, I would do that. You know, or something like that, like a disgruntled number two star to a team that just wants another space and, you know, pace player. See, I, I don't know. I I struggle with stuff like this because, you know, my buddy Tim on, on the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast, he always has a mm-hmm. saying of whenever you have a trade idea, take it to that team's fan base and you know whether or not you have anything worthwhile. And, you know, basically saying that, Fans, you know, all of us overvalue t- players on your own team. So mm-hmm. what I was thinking was, you know, reportedly, as of this recording, the Lakers just traded for Dennis Schroeder. Theoretically, if would you, and I think this is a reasonable package based on salary and mm-hmm. expectations, a trade that works that a lot of Lakers Twitter had been floating was Buddy for Coos Green in a first. Like Danny Green? Yeah. So he wouldn't be being traded for Schroeder? Right. This is all hypothetical, like, before the okay. Schroeder trade. This was being talked about by a lot of who I consider smart Lakers people as, like, a killer deal they would do in a heartbeat. I would rather have Caruso than Kuz. Yeah, it's not happening. 
Yeah, I mean, no, and that's fair. I agree. But that, I mean, but that's I, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't down. want Kuz on yeah. my basketball team. Yeah, that's totally. I don't think fair. that he. I don't think that he's a like. Uh, I don't think that he's making other players better. He's legitimately going to go out and shoot his shots, and that's it. He's a good defender too, but he's not a culture guy. He's not a. He's who you bring in if you're already a contender. Like if the Nets grabbed coups or something like that instead of Harden to bring him off the bench I could see that happening he's also not young he's already 25 he's so right like 25 is yes young but it's not like you're getting a you know a, he's just coming off his rookie scale contract and you're mm-hmm. not really getting that age benefit there either as far as like a blue chip young piece but um I just wonder if like I think Buddy's slightly overpaid I think contending teams are willing to deal for him and and be okay with that based on Mm -hmm. whether or not the Kings are willing to accept expiring money and draft compensation instead of like an actual like prime piece, if that makes sense. Right. Which I I would be okay with as long as like there was draft assets or something involved to accompany those expiring deals. I don't want to just be trading him to get out of the deal. So what do you think, and then just bringing it back to Monty, I guess, because um, I don't know too much about him. I know he was under Morey in Houston. He's more of an analytical guy. Like, what'll be the approach then, I guess, as far as, like, how he can impact team construction? Is it is it try to get the best guys around Fox and really just bringing, you know, the culture around him? I hope so. As a Kings fan, that that is what I want. I think Fox is the kind of guy you want to build your franchise around, kind of similar to Van Vliet. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like the way he conducts himself on and off the court, and you got to have like that guy to look to. Yeah, in the pressure situations, in even even in the off the court situations, like with social justice and the voting stuff, you want a player who spearheads that stuff as like the dude for your franchise, right? You just want a leader. A voice, I think that's yeah. what Fox is, and he's incredibly talented, and he's also shown a propensity to get better each offseason. Mm. Like, he's going to be good next year. We should probably also fill in the listeners on our bet of oh, right. De'Aaron Fox or Alonzo Ball being either all-defense, all-star, all-NBA first. And we made this, like, two seasons ago. At least. Thinking that it would be taken care of, like, that year. And here we are years later still with that I bet mean, out there. Just for context, so people don't, you know think i'm crazy i my end of the deal was like i'm banking on lonzo making an all defense a second team basically yep. that yep. is my like one pathway and and also to be fair this was much earlier than when De'Aaron fox made his giant leap uh after his rookie season so i think we made this after their first seasons and mm-hmm. for context as far as i'm not saying darren fox is worse than lonzo ball which is what it sounds like as far as me taking that bet um fox has proven himself to be far more consistent far more impactful player than lonzo who i've been disappointed in but i still believe in in some of the, the tenets of his game yeah you always stood up for his defense and i can't argue there it's a smart bet on yeah. your part very savvy because i'm banking on well, Fox is going to be the only good king for the next right. decade. So if the Kings are going to get somebody in the All-Star game, it's going to be him. But then I was like, oh, it's the West, though. Like, this is my thought process of the bet. Like, mm-hmm. is he going to beat Westbrook, Paul, Dame, right? Like, oh, Harden, Curry. There's a logjam of All-Stars at the guard position in the West. So good luck, my friend. Steak dinner on the line. I'm excited. 
Yeah, not going so well so far. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's uh let's quickly here touch on we wanted to talk about like AD Joker and Embiid's impact on player personnel before the free agency gets going here. So I'll let you kind of take it and then I'll give you, you know, a rebuttal and my thoughts on it. Sure, yeah. Um no, and we kind of talked about this a little bit on on our podcast, but I just thought after watching these these playoffs, right, and I'm mainly pointing out Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic as entirely physical matchup issues. Um, mm-hmm. uh, guys that, you know, it's hard to guard Damian Lillard, but it's not as hard when there's a guy that's 6'4 on your team or 6'6 who can actually right. physically match up with him. Uh, so... After watching the playoffs and the way that Jokic dominated from that center position, and both with physicality and with passing, he's so versatile. AD's just the same, right? He can hit a game-winning three on you, but then he can also turn his back in the post and hit an alley-oop from Rondo. So Mm -hmm. some of these issues are simply like, okay, we have to front Anthony Davis because we have no one in the world who can actually match up with him if he tries to post us up. So... You know, we're going to make it hard for you to get the ball to him. Uh, all this, you look at Jokic, same thing. The way his physicality dominated Harrell, um, who's a good player, you know. Mm-hmm. But Montrez Harrell cannot match up with Nikola Jokic. So, and I and I think, again, Tim Bead and how high I still am on him. And now with Mori going there. There are these guys in the league who we haven't had for some time. These big, physical, skilled, talented guys. And I don't put Cat in this category yet because physically he's not as dominating, although he mm-hmm. could eventually get there. Um, maybe. Based on his skill set alone, right? And sure. Maybe yeah. get a little bigger. But Embiid, Jokic, and AD, these are huge, giant humans who I mm-hmm. just thought if you might see teams shying away from a full roster of small ball guys and going the Shaq route when in the 2000s every team had two to three guys that were just random giant white dudes off the bench who had six fouls a game. Uh, and yeah. But let me just say, none of these players are Shaq, right? None of them are physically dominating. It's not the same. Correct. It's not the same. Check yourself, kids. I'm, I'm sad. I, I know what Shaq looked like. You know what I mean? I was there. <laughs> but when, when you see the Warriors trying to put together a team and play Draymond Green at the five and have that success of stretching and spacing the floor, mm-hmm. they got no answer for Anthony Davis. And it's not Draymond Green, I'll tell you that. So is a team like the Warriors, is a team like you know the Rockets going to be willing to get bigger and sign Alex Len and you know Joe Kim Noah and Dwight Howard just to match up with some of the size that the Lakers have. Now, part of this depends on whether or not the Lakers can return their size in Dwight, um, you know, maybe Boogie, because maybe. that was AD. That mm-hmm. was their philosophy, it seemed like, at the end of last season was, all right, the Warriors are out, Clay is hurt, you know, they're going to have a rough start to the year. The league's wide open. You know, mm-hmm. all these teams are trying to be Golden State, but they can't. We don't even. We're not even going to try. We're so far away, personnel-wise, from even trying. Let's build a more classic 2007 championship-style team. And I just wonder if that is going to force other teams, based on them, Denver, the Lakers, the Sixers. I would all consider to be 
top six to eight title contenders in the league. So if half of the top title contenders in the league have a physical dominating matchup problem who just you cannot solve without a giant human on your 13th roster spot. Right. And maybe it's a stopgap. Maybe it's it's a fighting a losing battle. But I just wonder if that resurgence of big, skilled, talented guys will kind of change the way teams approach their roster construction. No, I think it's a great thought. And it is obviously going to affect the way that teams build for the next couple of years with the Lakers being so dominant. Because LeBron is basically a big man, too. Yes, yes. And he's a big man with all the guard skills. And I think that's what makes... AD so dangerous. This young crop of big men is like if you had Dirk when he was at his mental pinnacle, but with like a 25-year-old's athletic body. Because like Dirk was so good even at like 32, 33 because he was seven feet tall and he could shoot a three-pointer. Right. If you just are those, if you have that in your bag, you're a pretty unstoppable player. Then yeah, you throw in AD's athleticism it's almost unstoppable, but first I'm planting my flag in the okay. I don't believe in Embiid Hill. Ooh. You heard it here. He he's shown himself to not be mentally tough enough to like play a full NBA season. Like that or to play to where you could win a championship. Right. His mind just can't make it that far. It never has, and I don't think it will. I think he's just too free-spirited and i love that about him he's so good for our game but he is not a killer he just isn't he gets like little kid upset that it's his like closest to killer mentality you know what i mean yeah like when someone kind of pulls on his jersey then he does all these antics and swings around and he's like oh look how tough i am And it's like no you know what's tough is like Kobe Bryant not flinching when Barnes throws the ball like an inch away from his face. So That's like what toughness is on the basketball court. It's like Kawhi Leonard just looking at you deadpanned after he just took your cookies and dunked it. And you're just like, is, you're terrified at that point. With Embiid, you can get in his head with Valanchunas. You just need like one dude in there to just get in his head and you got him for the game every time. But with AD, he's got LeBron on his side, who's like right. maybe the smartest basketball player we've ever seen. So like you're not going to get to AD in that way. So like my best strategy, and I wrote it down here, is like you need like a team of Boris Diaz. And that sounds a little bit wild, but like that dude is a little Harden-like, but almost like better on the perimeter than Harden was and taller. I remember him being so effective against LeBron James drives when LeBron was at his physical peak. And I think you need like wide, strong players. You know, maybe if Aiton keeps taking PEDs, he'll be there. But you're not going to block AD's shot. He's seven feet tall no. and he shoots it from above his head. Yeah. That you can be Kristaps Porzingis and you're not touching that. So you might as well have some girth, and if they try to dig into you, you don't give up that space. Because nobody's shooting a hook shot either. Right. So you don't have to worry about that as a defender. And then you're right. It's team defense. It's not letting the ball get to them. Right. And you got to design specific defenses for them, kind of in the same way you had to for the Warriors for a couple years with Curry. Where mm -hmm. it's like, no, you don't help off ball. Not yeah. with him. Yeah, we're blitzing every pick and roll. We're, mm -hmm. you know, not giving him any space to even get a chance to get this up. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, people like Boris Diaw or Shane Battier, a little bit undersized, but just strong and smart. Because okay. you're, yeah, you're you're not gonna beat them with big guys. Tricky thing though is that they're it's really hard, and I think this same player applies to guys who you want to defend Kawhi and Paul George and you know the other really high end wings in the league that. Same same people apply to LeBron, right? The guys mm-hmm. um, that you saw guard them in the playoffs are like Jeremy Grant. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's too small, slender. He know? is, but but if he bulked up, he could be like one of those guys I'm talking about for sure. I really like Jeremy Grant. Yeah, honestly. no, me too. And he's I, gonna get paid this summer and properly. Yeah, so. he is. If but, I were the Knicks, yeah, <laughs> he's another guy. I could see him it. In. Yeah, yeah. But it's ultimately it's like. The size and speed, it's so hard to find. That's why it makes those guys so unique. Um, LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi. The skill combined with the size combined with the intelligence, right? It's mm-hmm. And, I mean, but how do you defend Nikola Jokic if you're giving up 50 pounds? You you don't. Right. You, you basically, with Jokic, like your best chance is almost to play mind games with him is to like leave him more open than he should be because he is pass first. He right. wants you to bite on his pump fake, bite on his drive so he can dish it. So if you at least make him think about taking the shot before he takes the shot because he's a little extra open or you sunk down a little bit more than he thought, I think that's almost your best chance. It's just like tricking him into a bad so- shot selection. But again, you're not getting that with AD because he's got Braun. Braun's just not going to let that fly. That's true. But there He's too was, smart for it. To me, in what some of the Lakers' success with uh, with Jokic was Dwight, right? And mm-hmm. Dwight really did get under his skin, not only mm-hmm. with being handsy and maybe fouling and you know, all these dirty things, if you want to say it, that's fair. But he also is just big and has giant shoulders and is yeah. knocking Jokic out of the way and playing physical. So Jokic is a big guy who doesn't really play physically. Mm-hmm. So you can assert a will as a slightly smaller guy if you are naturally physical. And yep. what That's the, a good cl- point. the Clippers were missing was kind of, you know, Harrell wasn't as physical as he needed because he's too small. He's undersized. And, and Harrell, his you know, odyssey to the bubble there and with the passing of his grandmother and him going in and out. And I forgive him. That's not the Harold that we had seen all season. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, he was not in game shape and he was just not sharp overall. And you could tell he got into his own head once he started missing some bunnies. Mm -hmm. So I hate to just point to that one, but yeah, I mean, he, Jokic ate his, his breakfast. It was. Yeah. Over and over again. And yeah. Over and over, and Doc couldn't adjust and get Zubac in there a little bit more. But you know, even Zubac isn't a isn't a perfect answer either. So I just wonder mm-hmm. if if these guys on the fringes of your roster, like I mentioned, like Joakim Noah, is going to be able to go yeah. in there and give Jokic at least a little bit of an issue. Now he's going to get demolished in those pick and rolls, probably. But if you need, you know, in the regular season, ten minutes of post defense from a guy. In game 32 against AD, Embiid, Jokic, like you need a body. It's like it's literally something you can't teach. Correct. Yeah. And maybe that's like when you run your 10 minutes of zone. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you just put the big body in the middle mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, you got six fouls here. Yeah. Be physical. 
make sure they remember that you were in the game, you know? No, but, I think those are good points, and go ahead. No, no, it's just, it's just important. You know, we all know how the league's transferred towards small ball, and when something works, you see teams copy it. So... I, I think that small ball is blown out of proportion. I think the nomenclature that should be used is skill ball. The Warriors weren't playing Draymond Green because he was short. They're playing him because he could defend the other team's centers well enough, and he was so effective on the offensive end. AD does all that, but he's in a seven-footer's body. Right. So it, if it would be small ball if AD was shorter. But since he's tall, it just becomes skill ball. But at a certain level, and I agree with you, skill ball is much more accurate as far as calling mm-hmm. these guys just big. Because that's not fair. Mm-hmm. They're they're more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why, to me, it's worth at least consideration. You know, every team at one point had tried to get a guy who could chase Steph Curry around screens. You know, If you were a team worth contending. I thought you were going to go for that. Every team in the 90s had a big man for Shaq. And I was like, keep getting them checks. Great ghost or tag. I mean, yeah, dude, that too. <laughs> but that's that's where my thought process yeah. around this becomes is if you see this rise. And all these guys are young, too. All these guys mm-hmm. are not are in their prime or approaching their prime. So when guys like Harden and Curry and maybe Irving are starting to age a little bit and those perimeter guys maybe won't be as, you know, fire shooters as as impactful as they were before, that there's a natural kind of swing the other way to, yeah, now some of these big guys have been shooting three since they were 11. You know, it's not just he added it over the summer game. It's like a part of his core fundamental skill set, you know? Yeah. No, that's a great point. And, I mean, we're seeing some of these kids coming in the draft who are big and very skilled. Actually, kind of leads us nicely in yeah. here. Give me one player that you like in the draft before I let you go here. So along those lines, uh, I like me some Alexei Pokushevsky, and mm-hmm. I do understand the uh, concerns around him. I think KOC at the Ringer has him at twelfth on his draft board, so he's a lottery pick, right? Um, Definitely. But if you're not familiar, he's a like seven footer from Serbia. Almost mm-hmm. in the uh, Kristaps Porzingis like body type mold. He's not as tall, but he mm-hmm. is very lanky, like teenage boy lanky. Very, very lanky. Kind of looks like Porzingis a little bit, like when he was coming into the draft. He is definitely like the upper left or upper right target on the ski ball. Right. Like you go for it, and right. if you nail it, you nail it, and you get all the points. But if you miss it, it's going straight oh, yeah. to the bottom to zero, 50 or zero, right? Yeah, there's no consolation prize. So I just like, I mean, along the lines of what we just mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. to me, he might actually profile as like a seven foot wing. If he doesn't ever get the physical like girth to, to bang and get rebounds and defend the rim, which. You know, I don't really think he will, but he has this ball handling passing ability from the wing position that with his size, if he can get a decent first step, if he can finish at the rim through strength, you know, I'm less skeptical, but he's a great passer. He could, you know, be like an Andre Karolinko-ish kind of guy to me, uh, but less physically physically dominant, you know, defensively. Sure. Yeah, no, I like it. And he's a total gamer. 
Yeah. You can just, he's got some attitude, and I always dig that. I like a little bit of attitude. You saw that with Tyler Hero, like even yes. in his high school clips, like he would talk shit, and you're like, okay, this kid's got something. Yeah. The bet on yourself, guys. I'm, I'm into those kind of guys. Uh, my guy, I don't follow this stuff very closely. I should, Same. full disclosure. Yeah. We just want to kind of stick a flag in the mm-hmm. ground for somebody here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going with Killian Hayes. KOC does Ooh. have him number one on his board. He reminds me of Mike Conley. I can't help the left-hand comparison. But I think he could be like a sixth man, you know, an eighth man on a championship team in the next couple years. But if he, you know, if if everything breaks right for him, he could be a couple-time all-star, I think. I think he could lead a team in scoring and assists. He's just not very athletic. So hopefully his skills can make up for that. Plus, he has a great name. So I hope we get to say his name for the next decade. I like that. I like that. Uh, no, I like Killian Hayes. I think what you see when he has the ball in his hands is this poise. Uh, I think it's the same thing from Mike Conley. Um, is that they're not athletically going to beat guys to their spot and win, you know, no matter what. They're going to use their brain and their mm-hmm. understanding of angles to beat you. So I think he can. Uh, his his worry for me is a little bit his shot. Uh, if he can keep that up and consistently, you know, become a 34, 35% three-point shooter. Um, yeah, somebody you at least have to respect. Yeah. You at least have to go over the pick every now and again. Yeah, He's totally. a good free throw shooter, and the scouts always say that that's a really good indicator. Those are, yeah, correlated correlated stats he, for sure and he, and he has good touch like mm-hmm. around the rim kind of in a mike conley type of way and it took conley a couple years to get that range into his game but eventually he did sure. now he, you know i mean of course he missed the three to move on the playoffs this year but overall conley's a much improved shooter i like that call though killian hayes uh so where would is there like a particular spot you'd want him to go like whether fit or you know where he could become the best version of himself Hmm, that's a great question. I try not to worry about that stuff too much because then I get really attached to ideas before. But as we've been talking about trying to revive the Knicks, why yeah. not give them Killian Hayes, especially if they get Van Vliet? Come off the bench so he can back. Yeah. yeah, he can back up Van Vliet. And I think that could be a really good core of guards that they could have up there really quickly. Interesting. But any of those like you know middle-late lottery teams, I yeah. could see him going and being successful. I mean, if the Bulls want to get rid of some of their guards, he's better than most of them. So package a couple of those in some sort of trade, get some future assets and pick up Killian Hayes. I would do that if I were them. I don't know what the Bulls are doing, man, because I keep hearing reports that they're going <laughs> to trade Wendell Carter, and I love Wendell Carter. And they're I keep like, forgetting Billy Donovan's their coach. Dude, it's wild. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not really high on Zach Levine personally, but, you know, uh, I think he can help you score points to maybe get an eight seed if you have a decent defense and so mm-hmm. but you know they're still trying to figure out what they have in marketing and carter and i just have no idea roster construction wise like which direction they're willing to go uh because obviously they have a new gm now um so yeah they're they're a big question mark for me in the draft too as far as like a swinging point of what happens yeah totally agree well, we got the draft here in a couple days, so yeah. I'll be interested to see what happens there. And we're going to bring you back on. I don't think you're coming on next week, but you're coming on two weeks from now. And so we can talk about the draft, free agency, other movement. Maybe we can get some more uniform talk in, too. We'll see what's released. But uh, right. 
dude i want to thank you for coming on uh where can the listeners find all of your work you do so many things so list it all thanks for having me man no it's uh yeah, we have such good conversations. I was really excited to to put this on a pod and hopefully some of our, you know, just friendship and chemistry come through for y'all. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Creative Destroyer. Um, I'm a co-host of the Lakers Exceptionalism pod with Tim, a.k.a. Crangis McBasketball, who is <laughs> one of the, I called him the other week, uh, the Steve Kornacki of Lakers Twitter. Uh, if that's an analog, <laughs> what, it makes what an honor. any sense to you. Come check out the pod. He's a very smart guy around data, creating his own uh, analytics. Um, he's been working with some teams and agents to kind of provide background and leverage for players, basically, mm-hmm. to go to their agents and say, this is what he's worth. This is, you know, really smart guy. Uh, so I just played the, the layman asking him questions and trying to frame his data and analysis in, a, in an interesting way and it's Laker centric, but we try to be objective and talk about all the rest of the, we talked about Maury for about 15 minutes when it happened. Um, so check that out. Uh, the Lakers exceptions and pot and Apple, but any, any short films or anything. So we just, uh, I'm working on getting my director to do color on our recent short film. Um, okay. For Jasmine street films. We did one for the 48 hour film project. So um, follow me on Twitter. I'll be tweeting that link out probably in the next couple weeks and, yeah, that's a whole other angle, t- uh, uh, Nick, is we got to talk films eventually here. We got basketball, we got films, we got music. There's a lot of overlap here for us to go over. Yeah, just you wait, listeners. This is the most normal pod you'll ever get from Tom and I. <laughs> it's going to get weird, and we're going to try and have you on the pod soon uh, on Lakers Exceptionalism. To We want to get back to our fun segment roots, which we've kind of strayed away. We've gotten a little more serious and dry lately, so I want to... Mm bring you on for Absolutely. some spice happy to bring the silliness dude thanks again for uh coming on and we'll uh we'll talk to you here in a couple weeks thanks y'all this episode is brought to you by cbd brands direct cbd brands direct is an online retailer for a wide variety of cbd brands and products they are your one-stop shop for everything cbd from topicals to edibles to ingestibles they've got you covered Ignite makes broad-spectrum gummies that are precisely dosed and delicious. The gummies contain 20 milligrams of broad-spectrum CBD each and are vegan and gluten-free. The gummies come in a variety of flavors including lemon, cherry, and orange and can be ordered in packs of 2 or 10 depending on your needs. Ignite products are thoroughly tested and are made from hemp-derived CBD extract. All products from CBD Brands Direct ship to the continental United States. You must be 18 or older to order. Be sure to check your specific state's CBD regulations. Visit cbdbrandsdirect.com, that's c-b-d-b-r-a-n-d-s-d-i-r-e-c-t.com to order. And use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 20% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let them know you came from us. Thanks to CBD Brands Direct for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, welcome back. We're going to do Nick's picks here. What I'm going to do is $10 bets, probably three games per week to start out with. And I'm going to do NFL focus for the first couple weeks here. And as the NBA and other leagues get going, I'll start to sprinkle in some picks from other sports as well. 
The first game that I'm picking here is Packers at Colts. The Packers are getting one and a half points, but I'm going to go with the Packers money line, which is plus 105. So I'm putting $10 on the Packers to win at the Colts. My second pick is the Chiefs at Raiders game. The Chiefs are giving seven points. And so I'm going to take the Raiders with the seven points who are minus 115 with the spread. So $10 there on the Raiders. And for my third pick, I'm doing a three-team parlay. I'm doing the Seahawks to win at home versus the Cardinals. I know they've lost three of their last four, and the Cardinals are coming off the Hale-Murray play. I just expect the Seahawks to be playing a kitchen sink style of game in this one. And it's a big divisional game, and the Seahawks have a lot of easy matchups after this one, so they really need to win. With the Pittsburgh on the road at Jacksonville, I'm going with the Steelers to win for the money line on the parlay, and then I'm going with the Miami Dolphins to win on the road in Denver. So if you parlay those three money lines together, it gets you to a plus 209, so I'm putting $10 there. So first pick is Packers at Colts, I'm going with the Packers on the money line, second pick I'm taking the Raiders with the seven points, and the third pick, a three-team parlay with the Seahawks, Steelers, and Dolphins all to win. And we'll follow up next week and see how I did, and I'll do some picks then as well. But that is it for this week. If you have any draft or free agency predictions, hot takes, trade proposals, or if you just want to say hi, send an email to hello at begonia.fm or tweet at me at Nick Jaley. Thanks again to Tom Z for joining me, and thanks to CBD Brands Direct for sponsoring this episode. I will be back next week.